0: Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out why nice brands always win, and Steve Rosa is going to walk us through that logic. So he started his his ad agency some 30 years ago. Experts called his disruptive digital agency business model crazy and socially conscious business ethos dumb. Yet his company, AdVentures, has grown organically and remains independent. Part of the reason for the company's success has been the importance of the NICE, in all caps, culture, which means he hires nurturers with intelligence, character and energy, Steve, I love that. Steve is dedicated to building healthy brands, healthy people for Fortune 1000 companies. That's fantastic. So tell us, Steve, who all do you serve? Thank you.
1: First of all, thank you for having me. I certainly wish your podcast was available when I was that 25 year old starting a business. And I certainly wish I had some of your episodes as I grew the business with facing all kinds of challenges through the years. Thank you. I'm truly humbled and honored to be here. I appreciate what you do. What do we do? We Basically, we serve Fortune 500 companies, major brands, organizations that want to lead. Even better, we focus on brands that make life better in some way, shape, or form. We have to look in everything we do. We look and remind our clients of that noble
0: purpose behind their brand. So these companies you've identified in help have some problems, I imagine, Steve. And what are the problems they have that you are able to solve for them?
1: When you work with companies like CVS, Baxter Healthcare, they're on the front lines of so many things and they have to communicate and the one constant in my business in the over 30 years we've been working is that branding and brand experiences and consumer expectations are constantly changing change is the one constant so what we do is we help these big companies Solve brand problems that they may or may not have seen coming. We help them evolve to meet current demands and plan for the future. And I think what makes us unique is that we have a strategy side and a creative side. A business consulting firm is great at pointing out problems, but they don't give you the tools to solve them necessarily. And creative firms are great at building tools, but if they don't have a good strategy, they could be giving you the wrong tools to fix the wrong problems. So what we do is we look at brands like the way we look at people. They need to be healthy. They deserve to be happy. The experiences need to be healthy and happy. And what we do is we, we blend that strategy and creative and support it with really nice people who can guide you through change. Change is scary. So our nice people really help you build, solve, evolve, and grow.
0: So maybe our listeners would benefit from you giving us a case study. Maybe just think of of a recent or a long-ago client and walk us through. I think we'd like to know how do these people find you to know you, you exist? Then how do you bring somebody on board? How do you diagnose their issues? Then how do you go actually solve them? And how long, if you will, do you stick around? Are you married to these people? So give us the story, Steve.
1: Oh, yes. Now, we are married. We are monogamous. We are brand monogamous. (laughs) We are, we've had client relationships over decades. When we started working with CVS Health, they were a regional company, a regional pharmacy chain and now they're Fortune 5, Fortune 4, for, they keep growing. They're this massive healthcare organization and they were kind enough to let us come along for the ride. They're so smart. They obviously wouldn't have kept us around for over two decades if we weren't good at what we do. So what we try to do is just keep it keep it really real. For CVS, there was a lot of changes. We helped them when they became a healthcare company Turned into CVS Health. We were one of the one of the groups that helped them quit tobacco, quit selling tobacco products. That was a two billion dollar risk to for them to live their brand as a healthcare company. But we worked with them to work through all the issues. We worked with them to communicate properly why they were doing this drastic change. And that was one of our great milestones through the years. I think we fast forward a little bit to the COVID crisis. And I don't think any of us saw COVID coming and we had to learn new ways to work and we had to find ways to help CVS communicate with those, their key audiences internally, the how the pharmacists were going to, to help uh, externally, how do you how do people get the vaccinations? How do you overcome uh, vaccination fear? How do you navigate your way through the store to get the care products that you need for loved ones? So every way uh, an organization, we look at every way uh, an organization, a brand, touches consumers and we make sure that's as humankind, uh, a process as possible. And we work extremely hard to give people, give brands the meds they need. Meds being an acronym for marketing, experiences, design, and storytelling. We, our business, we are in the healthy brands, happy people business. And our brand meds, like most meds, make people happy.
0: You're an acronym guy, are you not? I think that came from
1: that came from years of working with corporations, having a client side mentality, and not too acronym crazy, but if there's we find that four things really help people memorize and we look at it as less acronyms, more of a a mantra, a rallying cry that people can grasp day one when they walk through our doors.
0: Yeah. Now people think of your organization differently from the competition, you've got tons of competition. So Steve, tell us how uh, you differentiate yourself from your competition.
1: By being nice, when I was on the client side, I absolutely hated how ad agencies treated me. I hated that they tried to force my company at the times into cookie cutter solutions. They didn't listen to me, even though I knew my industry, I knew the technology, I knew everything better than they did. Even worse, I hated how they treated their employees, the lower level people, the B team that they gave me to work with. I hated how they treated them. So I, when I decided to start a new kind of advertising agency for the internet age, I I knew it was going to be nice. I knew we were going to treat clients nice. We were going to treat employees nice. We were even going to treat vendors nice. So nice became a rallying cry and a mantra. And then it hit me that here's another acronym opportunity. (laughs) So not to sound too cheesy or corporate, nice really stands for nurturers with intelligence, character, and energy. That's how we keep our brand culture nice. A brand is a promise and we promise nice. Nice that nurture is well, intelligence, character, and energy. It's the one thing that keeps coming back as our secret source sauce through the years, that special formula nurtures. Everything we do requires nurturing the work, the strategy, the plans, the campaigns, the relationships. Everybody here has to be a nurturer. Everybody here also has to have intelligence, character, and energy. If they have intelligence and energy, but no character, they're just going to create drama. And we prefer to keep drama in front of our cameras, not behind them. If they have character, I'm sorry, if they have character and they have energy, but no intelligence, we'll hug you, we'll love you, we'll be friends forever. But if you're not intelligent enough to help our client prob- clients solve their problems, if you're not intelligent enough to help me grow my business, I can't work with you no matter how much I love you. So that's the formula, nurturers with intelligence, character, and energy. More formula than acronym.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I can see it being a fantastic screening tool for both on deciding who to do business with and second, who to bring on your team.
1: Absolutely, it's part of everything we do. It's part of our review process. It's part of our interviewing process. It's part of the referrals. The best place we ever find employee, new employees is through our current employees. And we're more interested in people than pedigrees. Recently, we brought on a sportscaster. I, I'm a sports guy. I'd love that. But we brought him on because he's uh, he is nice in every sense of the word. He's going to be nice to our client partners. He's going to be nice for our brand. It really is part of everything we do.
0: So you gave us a little bit of a hint about how you ended up founding your business, Steve. So if you'd be kind enough, go back and relive the last three decades and walk us through some of the major wins, some of the losses that you had and what you learned from both.
1: Okay, great. I I think when I started the business uh, in Boston, um, I had gone to Boston College. I had contacts there in the tech community. It was a logical place to start. I knew I was going to work uh, being the first entrepreneur in my family. I knew I was going to be working day and night uh, to make this a success. I felt a burden that maybe others didn't feel that failure was not an option. So I a couple of years into the business, I decided that I'm working this hard. My parents are getting older. I need to spend time with them. So I made the bold risk to move from Boston to Providence, which doesn't seem like a big deal nowadays, but it was really the start of the internet age and people weren't comfortable with electronic communications the way they are today. So when I came to Providence, a lot of my Boston clients did not follow at the time it was only an hour's drive. I had this thing called email and other things, but it, it didn't matter. When I got to Providence, the economy was decimated and I was pretty much alone on an island. I didn't have any business contacts there. I'm an inner city kid who got lucky, got to college, started got lucky enough to start a business. I it was real, a real struggle. Fortunately, Southwest Airlines opened up gates at uh, TF Green Airport in Providence with a direct flight to Chicago. Chicago clients um weren't scared of the distance. I did what it took. Uh, I got on the plane weekly, got built a book of business in Chicago that has followed me loyally, and just grew from there. So it's what I had to learn was, No matter how crazy your idea is, if you back it up with enough passion, persistence, and hard work, you do what it takes. And I'm really just, I can't, I'm getting a little choked up here. Thank you. It's, you have to believe in yourself and how empowering it is when you find the right people who believe in your vision and they join you and you learn that the right who will always help you figure out the what and how you can go anywhere. So here's this knucklehead kid from Providence with clients in Chicago. Then we opened up in New York and then we went to Miami and what we didn't realize in Miami, we went there for our multicultural clients, but then Miami is the, the commerce capital of Latin America. So our Miami clients brought us to Latin America and all of a sudden we're like a Providence agency working for companies in Asia, but our work is going to Latin America all of a sudden it became this global business. And I think that's, if you you stick to your promise, you stick to your values, you stick to your goals, sooner or later, people will follow you. Inc. Magazine actually called me crazy and dumb, I believe, or both, probably both. I was crazy and dumb to move to Providence, but I had to follow my heart. They said it was a bad thing to do. I followed my heart and the business eventually followed even Inc. Magazine eventually admitted that it worked out after all that. So I guess the big lesson is trust your gut, follow your heart, and surround yourself with great people, and you'll, you'll be amazed uh, the places you can go. That sounds like Dr. Seuss. But anyway, yeah, it's amazing.
0: It, yes, indeed. Steve, why don't you give us a couple of examples of your nice culture at work and walk through some of your key your key folks, your key, key team members.
1: Okay. Yes, we ha- have an unbelievable team, uh, a leadership team that has been with me for decades as well. I can't thank them enough. That's Mary Sadlier, Tracy Silva, Wayne Vieira. They were there for me when no one else uh, believed in the vision. They, I didn't have to tell them to be nice to clients. It was in their nature. In fact, they made me uh, more of a nurturer, more of a leader. And it's been a real great ride with them. From that small team, we've been able to, to find incredible people, sometimes in some strange places, but they're either incredible strategists or, or amazing creative talent. But they, even though we come from different lifestyles, different cultures, sometimes even speak different languages, we all believe in the same things. We believe in nice, we believe in each other and we just we put our clients first we take our work more seriously than we do ourselves we're bringing in top talent from all kinds of places people that are pretty entrepreneurial they're bootstrappers they know how to work longer and harder we they're also bone diggers that's one of the expressions we have around here everyone would love to find a fossil right a dinosaur bone but archaeologists right they love the dig What we do as a service business is hard. Our work is complex and it's hard to simplify complexity for humanity. So you have to love the dirt. You have to love the dick, the dig. You have to love to just keep jumping in and going further to to find that dinosaur bone.
0: Our listeners are thinking about your geography. You walk through that a little bit, but Mm -hmm. give us an example of how it is to break into a fortune 1000 company. How do you prospect these people? How do you uh, identify who the decision makers are? And how does that work?
1: I think with us, it's everything has been quality work and quality relationships. It's not the way I, not the easiest way to get in, but it's usually reputation. Our first Fortune 500 company, for example, was located here in Providence. The gentleman had saw our work that we had done for a Chicago company. He just assumed we were a Chicago firm or from some other big city. He had his assistant track us down. His assistant found us. And when he called and said, how soon can you get here? I was like, how about 10 minutes? I'll buy you a lemonade across the street from your company. He was shocked by that. So our work has always spoke for itself. Uh, Our relationships, we've grown because people eventually their lives change and they move on to different companies. But somehow we hold our footing in the clients we already have and then follow people that have left to new organizations. Welch Allen was a client of ours in upstate New York and they got acquired by Hillrom, which was a hospital bed manufacturer. Hillrom kept us. Hillrom uh, was then acquired by Baxter who we had already worked with previously. And Baxter was kept us on board to turn that Rom division from a bed manufacturer into a healthcare innovator like the rest of their franchise. And now we work with Baxter, uh, Canada, Latin America, and other places. So it, it sounds trite, but it's always the quality work and relationships. We're not... We're not the best new business operation here. We're not great at selling ourselves. We'd rather talk and listen to client partners than talk about ourselves. So again, just quality work relationships where we put good stuff out there and success follows.
0: So Steve, how do you manage your uh, business? You hold regular management meetings. Do you have annual planning? Kind of walk us through that whole model.
1: Yep, our leadership team meets weekly. Of course, we have all the communication tools from Slack, email, everything else, text each other. When you love what you don't, it doesn't feel like a a burden to reach out to people, it's always a nice experience. So we meet weekly, and we're we're laser focused on keeping that nice culture going, and we know it starts with the top. And if we don't practice what we preach, people aren't going to follow. So we keep each other in check. We communicate often and we just keep learning from each other and our client partners.
0: So Steve, I'm uh, curious about uh, your culture when it comes to developing people over time. So could you walk us through how that works from a brand new hire to growing up through the ranks, if you will?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's The beauty of a strong culture is that it becomes self-regulating, if not self-sustaining. When you work here and you see your peers, your teammates, your colleagues, whatever you think, whatever you call them, you see them working longer, working harder, digging deeper, you know you're not pulling your weight. We're not some big, giant organization where you could die in your cube and they won't find you until your corpse starts to smell, right? We <laughs> you, we know who's delivering here. We know who's bringing the passion. I always thought, honestly, when uh, we got to 150 employees, I always thought I was going to break the company up into smaller pieces because I was worried that we may not be able to sustain our nice culture, but our culture is so strong. I honest to God, it's still nice here and we're still investing in people. And I see people at the top of the organization still mentoring and nurturing younger professionals. I see our employees getting, getting married and having kids and growing up and talking to each other about life, not just business. So it's just a lot of human connections. We have clubhouses and and events where employees can get together. We just built a roadhouse where people can eat outside and hang out and have a drink after work if they want to. It's all about being together, feeling that you're part of a team, working as a team and winning as a team. It's just, it's not any major thing, but it's just leading by example and caring more. That's nice.
0: So how about your uh, remote employees? How do they get uh, connected with, uh, if you will, the mothership?
1: That was really scary as we've grown and uh, t- absolutely terrifying for me as CEO during uh, the COVID pandemic. Everything, uh, those there, there weren't water cooler conversations. We had a small team that came to the office every day, but um, everyone else had to learn new ways to work. So we sent care packages, a lot of care packages, sometimes fun little t-shirts with sayings on them or treats, meetings. We tried parties in a box, anything that could make people realize that working here is about more than a series of pressing deadlines after pressing deadlines. We had to find ways to celebrate our victories. We were pulling off small, small miracles and They deserved to be celebrated, and we found ways to do that. We even had a remote uh, holiday party where we had Beverly D'Angelo from the Christmas vacation movie send a message to our team. Just little things like that just got people talking, got people comfortable, just kept people connected as best we can. We couldn't lose that purpose of healthy brands, happy people, and being nice.
0: Excellent, excellent. Thanks for that story. So Steve, here we are, three quarters of the way through 2023. What do you as a business owner, CEO, see that's holding you back right now as an organization?
1: Hopefully, not my performance on this podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's me being one of the things I had to overcome with. We were never the first ones in the swimming pool right so as these new technologies came out from the internet websites we were never the first ones to jump into the pool because we figured we can't keep our clients from drowning if until we know how to swim i've had to be a little bit bolder as we've gotten bigger and now we're boldly entering the world of ai and virtual video production we built the first video virtual video studio on the East Coast. We even beat Amazon by one month. And I think they have slightly bigger budgets than we do. It was, it's embracing the fact that we are leaders, uh, having faith in, in, in ourselves, not just ourselves, but our client partners, that they will use these new technologies like virtual video production because it's just a smarter way to work. It's, you can produce three times more content you can save 40% in travel costs because we can create entire universes. We don't have to go to a location. And it's all that travel and stuff we save is good for the planet. So there's a lot of wins to it. We did it. We entered that world because we have to, we've embraced our role as leaders and we have faith in each other. We have faith in our clients and we just keep, keep growing. And the best of all, we don't have to. Work at three in the morning because that was the only time we could take an operating theater offline or a busy retail location in Times Square. We wanted to shoot in there. You can't shut down the store till three in the morning to do those things. Virtual production really is just another tool in our our toolbox that can help us do anything our clients need, get any messages out fast. How can our
0: various listeners get a hold of you?
1: Oh, okay. Simple. I put the A D in Adventures. So it's Adventures with two Ds, A D V E N T U R E S dot com. You can reach me there. You can learn all about our firm at that website. And we'd love to keep the conversation going.
0: Excellent. Steve, is what's the one question that would give huge value to our audience if you were to one pose it to yourself and two, answer it?
1: Okay. Are you, how do you keep it real in a world of artificial intelligence, right? How do you stay humankind in a world that's going to be increasingly robotic, a society that's more polarized and everything just getting meaner, right? You stay nice by realizing that it's just another tool and you have to embrace evolution, right? So how are we going to use AI to make us more human is what we should be asking ourselves. And the answer is to free up repetitive tasks and things that are barriers right now to being human, like translations. I've seen video technology in our team, sorry, on our team that just, it's like a universal translator that they used to have on sci-fi shows like Star Trek, right? There's videos and you can take my video and translate it using AI so it looks like I'm speaking fluent Cantonese, wherever you need it to be. So that's how you got to keep it in mind. Don't fear evolution. If you do, you become a dinosaur and dinosaurs go extinct. Just there's new ways. Just remember that any new technology, AI can't replace what makes us human. Just so use it to spend more time ideating, sharing ideas, nurturing, mentoring, and being nice. I think that's the secret. I think nice brands that keep it real are going to do well in this world.
0: I agree with you. Absolutely, Steve. So everybody in closing. Let's focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy. Second, employing a management system to execute that strategy. And number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, when you get the key to those three things, just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening, Steve. Thanks for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I enjoyed this very much. I Again, I wish wish this podcast were here when I was getting started and I, I hope I shared some of my uh, crazy biz wisdom. I was a biz whiz, but I did stupid things. So I call it biz wisdom. I hope you enjoyed any biz wisdom I got to share today. So thank you.
0: Once again, thanks much. Thank you.